your Bibles with me to Luke 3 as we continue our study through this third gospel record in the New Testament. Luke chapter 3 will be in verse 21 through the end of the chapter today. The title for our study this morning is My Beloved Son. Many of you know where the, exactly where these words come from. It's God the Father uttered them of His Son, Jesus Christ, at the point of His baptism. Those are three of the most significant words uttered in all of human history. I'd like to begin our study by asking you to consider this question. How important is the deity of Jesus Christ? How important is it that he is actually God? And not just a, a very notable religious influencer in world history. If you've studied the doctrine of God the Son, Jesus Christ, then you know this question is somewhat comparable to questions like, well, how big is the universe? <laughs> how long does it take to walk a, a billion light years? You know what I mean. So how important is it that Jesus Christ was actually divine, God the Son? And if he is, and we believe he is, what impact does that have on your life and my life and all of humanity? You'll notice that I've included some study questions like these in your bulletin for, for personal and family reflection. I know that most everyone here has read the scriptures and understands and believes that Jesus Christ is God. If you're not in that camp yet, then I, I most certainly trust that our study through the Gospel of Luke, especially the last two studies we did, will give you the most convincing reasons to believe. For those of us who do accept the deity of Jesus Christ, I want us to be very conscious of the fact that it is equally important to understand that when you and I lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, think about this with me, it negatively impacts the way we read the Scriptures. It negatively influences our desire to obey the Word of God. It negatively impacts how we view and face both the trials and the blessings of life. Losing sight of the deity of Jesus Christ negatively influences our closest relationships, our emotions, our daily decisions, and so much more. If this man, Jesus Christ, was the Son of God, and again, we believe He was and is, then this changes everything. Because everything he says as God establishes the moral universal law of truth and righteousness. Are you following me on that? And if he is God, then you and I are bound to live by what he says and commands. Thank God this includes the law of grace and mercy and God's forgiveness. Praise the Lord that those unchanging truths 
cannot be overcome or undone by any outside force or intellect. When God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, that divinely authenticated again the deity of Jesus Christ. And that has major ramifications on your life and mine. One of life's greatest questions is, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus himself asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 16, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter answered well. And that question still echoes through the ages to every person in this room. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? You see, our heart-level answer to that question daily dictates the direction of our life both now and forever. And Luke 3 is one of the grandest keys to answering that question correctly. We're going to read and we're going to study the baptism of Jesus Christ here in Luke 3. But let me provide some context to help us appreciate this passage. This baptism at about the age of 30 was a major turning point in the life and ministry of Jesus. It was his turning point into what we could call full-time ministry. It's very interesting to note that here in the text and the others uh, that give account of this, even John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, did not realize that Jesus was the the Messiah until this point. Something was about to dramatically be revealed regarding this person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Many commentaries and study notes also point out that it was at the age of 30 that the Levites began their ministry before the Lord, their their service. It was at the age of 30 that many prophets, priests, and kings began their service. And this baptism of Jesus undeniably marked the beginning of his three years of gospel proclamation and discipleship, culminating in his death and resurrection. The forgiveness of sin, the salvation of all who will believe and repent was about to be accomplished. I secondly want us to note that Jesus' baptism fulfilled John the Baptist's prophecy that the Messiah would soon arrive and that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. We looked at this last week. And of course, John's prophetic ministry reached back hundreds of years and fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about him as the forerunner of the Messiah. This sequence spanning hundreds of years is virtually a mathematical impossibility. These prophecies fulfilled are incredible. Third, observe that Jesus' baptism 
affirmed John's message of repentance, turning from sin. Now, of course, Jesus did not need to turn from sin. Why? He was sinless. This is what made him the sufficient, spotless, substitutionary Lamb of God, the one who paid the penalty, the only one who could pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus' baptism affirmed John's message that people must repent to prepare their heart to receive him, the Messiah, the long-awaited one. We looked at this vital preparing of the heart last week. Without repentance, there can be no remission of sins. Without repentance, there cannot be sanctification, spiritual growth. So these thoughts in mind, follow along as I read our text for today, beginning in verse 21, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now, this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning, but we also want to read, respect, and appreciate the genealogy given in the rest of the chapter. What's interesting about Luke's genealogy is that it contrasts Matthew's. While both of them affirm that Jesus the Messiah fulfills the prophetic ancestry, Matthew's record records and runs from Adam through Christ. It records forward from Adam through Christ and follows Mary's ancestry. While Luke's genealogy runs backward from Joseph, Jesus' assumed father, his earthly father, it runs all the way backward to Adam and to God, affirming that Jesus is both son of man and son of God. You'll see this at the end of the chapter. So let's keep reading. Verse 23. It says, When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Heslai, the son of Negai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semain, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, and the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mattat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattitha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, 
the son of Heber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Let's pray and then we'll ponder the magnificence of what we just read. Heavenly Father, right away, just at the reading of your word, we stand in awe. As we, as we contemplate the divine, heavenly authentication of Jesus Christ, born of Mary, born of the Spirit of God, as we consider him again authenticated as the Son of God, we are compelled to kneel before you in our hearts, to be in awe and wonder of you. Lord, cause us to surrender to the majesty of who is speaking to us in this word. We know that what you say is for your perfect glory and for our blessing. So we do afresh humble ourselves before you, knowing that your word is truth and it is good. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the baptism of Jesus is so notable that all four Gospels record it. Each sees it from a somewhat unique and yet affirming perspective. So let's read the other three accounts to give us a well-rounded picture, as much as possible, a well-rounded picture of not just the baptism of Jesus Christ, but the deity of Him. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 says, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. I'll just interject real quick. We don't have time to get into that, but if you'd like a good study, go study that, that sentence. What did Jesus mean by those words? It continues to say, then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now turn to Mark chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 9. Verses 9 through 11. Mark 1. Verse 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him and a voice came out of the heavens you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now turn to John chapter 1. 
John 1, verses 29, uh, verses 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Let me interject again. Why is that statement, for he existed before me, so stunning? Again, it's because John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, and John is about six months older than Jesus. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. He existed before me. Verse 31 continues. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. My church family, it is imperative that every believer, every child of God begin to grasp the majesty and glory of these passages of Scripture which all point to this truth. This is the Son of God. Why is this so important for us to not only understand and believe, but to remember and live by? It's because we're talking about God. The creator of the universe. Think about this. The sovereign ruler of all eternity. How does one rule such a thing? He owns all truth and power and answers to no one. What he says is true and will come to pass because he is God. Here's our primary application question for the morning. Am I living in the reality of God and his word? When you and I open the Bible, are we really beginning to comprehend just who is speaking to us? Does it compel us to surrender to his greatness and his goodness? Are we living in the reality of God? I ask this question for three reasons. Number one, I know personally how easy it is to lose sight of God in the busyness of life and the temptations of life if I am not diligently keeping my heart focused on Him through His Word. Secondly, I ask this application question because I see so many people making decisions as though He does not exist. And I want to encourage them 
to repent and believe. Glorify God and be blessed. Third, we ask this question, this application question, because I see so many people making decisions as though he does exist. And I want to encourage them to faithfully devote themselves to staying on that faith path. So how do we know Jesus is God? Again, if you weren't with us for the past two studies that we did here in, in, in Luke, I encourage you to watch those on our website and on the app. This is a continuation. Today is a continuation of the rock-solid truth that Jesus is God. It's because Jesus is God that the rest of the book even matters. It's because he is God that what he says has authority ultimate authority in your life and mine. It is worth living and dying for because he is God. Let me quickly read two more passages. Of course, there, there are many more on this topic of the deity of Jesus Christ. But here are two in which Jesus speaks of himself as God. The first is John 8, if you'd like to turn there. John chapter 8 Verses 53 to 58, this is where Jesus spoke to the Jews who opposed him. And yes, they vehemently opposed him. They said to him, verse 53, Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Speaking to Jesus. And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. Pause there for a second and recognize Jesus is making absolutely sure that they know He and they are talking about the same God. Verse 55, and you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That was an incredible claim of eternal being. And of course, if you read this account, then you know the Jews attempted to kill him on the spot, and they were unable to. Very interesting. Turn just a couple of pages forward to John chapter 10. John 10, starting in verse 24, it says, the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And if you've read this account, then you know they attempted to kill him again. They picked up large stones to stone him to death. And for some reason, they were unable. And if you jump down to verse 40 of this chapter, verses 40 to 42 say, And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Many believed in him there. The entire purpose of our study today is to be adamantly reminded that Jesus is God. Everything we have studied thus far in these first three chapters of Luke affirms this truth over and over again. What did Luke say his goal was for even writing this entire epistle, this gospel record? All 24 chapters, what was the purpose of writing them? It was to know the exact truth. Chapter 1, verse 4. And that exact truth revolved primarily around who Jesus was and is. For starters, if Jesus is the Son of God, and yes, we believe He is, what does that mean about every word he spoke in these four gospel accounts? It means they're the word of God. All of the truth claims and all of the commands are the word of God. You see, this is where it gets very, very personal. Jesus didn't just speak the word to his disciples and all those who would hear him at his time. No, his word was eternal and universal. It was spoken for you and for me. His disciples were commissioned to take his message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. They were commissioned to take it to the ends of the earth, to every tribe and tongue. We've addressed the Great Commission multiple times over the past couple months in our studies. Jesus spoke to all of humanity. And in particular, he spoke truth claims and commands. This is what we must believe and this is what we must do. And why are you and I absolutely compelled to believe and obey? It's because the Son of God is speaking. The Word of God is God because He speaks perfectly of Himself. Sadly, some will listen and some will not. Some will believe and some will not. Some will obey in loving worship and some will not. Jesus Himself said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads where? To destruction. And many there be who enter through it. But he talked of another path and another gate. He said, the gate is 
small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few there be that find it. My prayer is that every person who walks through these doors will be counted among the few. I trust and believe that is your prayer as well. But every person must decide for themselves whether they will listen to the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what happens to those who do not listen? We looked briefly at this in the verses prior just last week. It says, like a tree where the axe is already laying at the root, they will be cut down and thrown into an unquenchable fire. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 17. Do you believe that? That's pretty harsh. Why would anyone believe that? Because it's the word of God. What happens to those who do listen and believe in obedience and obey in repentance and worship? They will see the salvation of God. Verse 6. We looked at that last week. They will receive the gift of eternal life. They will receive it freely and never perish. John 3.16. Do you believe that? Why should anyone believe that? Because it is the word of God. In Luke 3, verse 21 and 22, are yet another affirmation that Jesus is indeed God the Son. Let's read this short text again. It says in verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, stop there and notice that good things happen when people pray. When they are truly communing with God. It says, while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Before I wrap up with the main point of our study, we must acknowledge the fact that one cannot help but notice all three persons of the Trinity distinctly and separately at play in the text here. Think carefully. God the Son is baptized. God the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And God the Father speaks his loving approval from heaven. This passage defeats many false theories surrounding the nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't have time to get into them, but if you have questions about the nature of and the work of the Trinity, the triune God, then Enrico will be out in the foyer right after the service. You can chat with him. <laughs> kidding, but not kidding. He'll be happy to chat with you on this. I would be happy. Any of the elders would be happy to open the word of God with you so you can see the importance and the wonder and the ramifications of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We've got a number of Systematic theology textbooks you could dig into. 
The reason that I have to touch on the Trinity is because the triune nature of God as three distinct persons has major implications on humanity. Not only that the Father, think about this, not only that the Father continued to reign in heaven when He in the Son came to earth, but also that He in the Spirit continues to presently dwell in us. We who believe, we who are the temple of God. Even though God the Son is now in heaven sitting at the right hand of God the Father interceding on our behalf. You see, the special presence of God in all these places gives a profound nearness simultaneous to his sovereign universal reign. Both of which the believer identifies with finds courage and consolation in and is assured that God is personally omnipresent. Isn't that an incredible thought? God is not just out there. He is in me and he is in you who repent and believe. He reigns on high. How great is our God. But in wrapping up, observe here in these two verses, the heaven was opened. Can you imagine that sight? I mean, how do we even begin? I've said it a hundred times, when I get to heaven, this is another one of those video replay scenes I'd love to watch. From the view of earth, heaven opened. Secondly, it says the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus in bodily form. That means they could see the Spirit of God in some observable form. Exactly what it was like, we do not know. But it flew down from heaven like a dove, and once it lighted upon Jesus Christ, the voice of God the Father was heard coming from out of heaven and saying, this is my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Friends, that's how you know Jesus Christ is God the Son. Beloved and well pleasing in the sight of God the Father. The question then is this Are you and I living? in the reality of God and His Word. In the closing statement of his summary on this Lucan text, Daryl Box says in his commentary, the testimony of heaven is that Jesus is the beloved Son. When God speaks, the reader is to listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we tremble in awe at the wonder of your word. It stirs our heart to reverently and lovingly fear you because you are the one and only true God above all other claimed gods. 
There is none like you in the earth, and when you speak, you deserve to be heard. Lord, you have been good to us, that you would communicate truth, what is right and good, what brings you glory and brings us benefit. You are good, Lord, to communicate these things to us. And of all the great things you said, you told us that Jesus Christ is the son you love and you are well pleased in him. When we open the word of God, when we ponder living in the reality of you and your son and your spirit, help us not to lose sight of who you are. And all God's people said, amen.